All right, in the immortal words of Judy Brown, happiness <laughs> is a choice. Trey Elling with his disco lights on the way out. Uh, we are happy you're spending some time with us. Us being me, Dan Campbell, and the one and only Zay the Right Call Collier. Zay, it's Tuesday of Kansas State Week. Big 12 Championship Week. How are you feeling about uh, the Longhorns heading into, are you feeling doomsday or are you feeling like uh, optimistic? Um, A little bit of both. Okay. A little bit of both. Feeling optimistic, okay. but this Kansas State team, they playing some serious football right now. And every team that's been in their way as of late, it's been blowouts. So what yeah, jumps out to you most? What jumps good. out to you specifically about what Kansas State is doing well right now that you think is a premier problem for the Horns? Uh, the fact that Will Howard and Avery Johnson are producing when they're in. And either one of those quarterbacks could hurt you. And they're both different, even though it's the same scheme. But, yeah, that's what scares me the most. Just, okay, you might stop one, but if the other gets going, I'm sure Chris Kleiman's going to keep that guy in there. And we talked to Tim Fitzgerald yesterday, who did a great job with us, who covers Kansas State. And, you know, he said, hey, Will Howard is pretty salty about this. Avery Johnson thing, you know, the dude said it is what it is. So, I mean, if you go watch the film on him, he's celebrating when Avery Johnson has those touchdown runs and stuff. But if Will Howard starts to slip up, they're going to put in that dude from the state of Kansas. And that dude, he has a lot of confidence. Like in the game versus Texas Tech where he had five touchdowns, Chip, one of the celebrations, he did the LeBron. Like he did the powder and splash thing LeBron I was like yo that's some serious swagger from a freshman man and yeah he has some wills he'll follow his blocks and they're starting to let him rip it more and more so even though he wasn't as much as a you know focal point in their offense against Houston those two weeks prior against TCU and um Texas Tech, he definitely was. And I think it just goes by game to game. So I think that's a lot for Pete Krakowski and this defense to plan for. You know, planning for one quarterback's one thing, but planning for two, that's another. And both of those guys, I'm sure Chris Kleiman has a lot of confidence in those guys coming into DKR and winning either one of them. So, yeah, I think the two-quarterback platoon system that Kansas State has going right now, that's what scares me the most. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I look at this and and Texas really hasn't been burned on the ground except for Dylan Gabriel getting loose and I think Texas was caught off guard or their, you know, the tempo got to him or it was hot, I don't know, but um you know they know the, the quarterback run game is coming this week. I mean, K-State's averaging 226 yards rushing and, you know, almost five yards a carry, you know, over five yards a carry, 5.4. So I just think that Texas 
will be ready for that. The, the question is, are they going to get got on those play action shots to Ben Stinnett, who is a little banged up their tight end and they don't have, I mean, they have, you know, Philip Brooks, who's a fast little guy. Um, you know, I just, I think this is going to be, this is going to be a fascinating game. I think it's going to be a little lower scoring than maybe we think, but I think this is going to be a tough game. I mean, I think it's going to be a fourth quarter game for sure because K-State's coming in with a lot of confidence. They're they're hitting, you know, Steve Sarkeesian says, we haven't played our best game. You can argue K-State's played its best games the last two weeks and really the last 10 quarters because that's the span in which they've outscored opponents 102 to three. So it's, you know, I just, if, okay, let me ask you this. If Quinn Ewers is playing for Texas, how much does that change the way you feel about this game? Uh, A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. The fact that Malik Murphy is getting the second start, that worries me because this defense allowing only three points in the last two weeks, I get TCU and Houston is different, but that same Houston team had you on the ropes two weeks ago in their home field. So, yeah, I would feel a little bit more comfortable if Quinn Ewers was there, but... That just means that you got to make plays elsewhere from the defense, forcing turnovers to help Malik Murphy out and get in the good field position so the offense can have an easier way to execute or what we saw with Xavier Worthy when it comes to that, you know, punt return that he took to the house. Like you need those types of moments to help out Malik Murphy, who, you know, had a couple of really nice throws, but he had a couple of really dumb ones that you definitely see from him having his first start ever that being a thing so yeah I think if Quinn Ewers was out there I would feel a whole lot better about this team taking this Kansas State squad on but hey that's just not what it is and Malik Murphy he's gonna have to go out there and produce and like I say from week to week Steve Sarkeesian he's gonna go out there he's gonna have to go out there and put Malik Murphy and this offense in the best situation to get the dub yeah yeah I mean I think you know, you look at the like you look at the games that that uh, K State has lost, and Missouri chopped them up through the air, threw for over 300 yards, a couple touchdowns. Luther Burden, 117 yards receiving, a couple touchdowns. Um, Oklahoma State, it was 29-21, and Oklahoma State only scored one offensive touchdown. They scored on a pick six and they kicked five field goals. Like that's a game. I mean, Texas can win that way. They can, they can grind. They just can't turn the ball over. They can also chop you up through the air. I mean, Tim Fitzgerald, we talked yesterday. Um, you know, that now, you know, he said there's a the, the secondary, the K-State secondary has been 
has been got a few times uh, more, more early in the season, more by Missouri than anyone else. But Texas doesn't want to get into that kind of game. I mean, they need to they need to stay balanced in this game. They, this this cannot be a, a replay of the TCU game from last year where Texas runs it 22 times for 22 yards or whatever that terrible night on the ground was for right. they got to stay balanced and and that's where Jonathan Brooks and this offensive line um you know come into play because if you can get past that defensive line I, I know Kobe Savage is is savage I mean he's he's their guy he's their playmaker at safety um if you can attack K-State on the perimeter, that's that's ideal. And we know Sark has that in his in his bag. Those receiver screens, they gotta get that block. They gotta get that block. And and then if you can establish that, then the seam route for Jatavian Sanders should be there. We haven't, you know, he had a ridiculous catch. I don't think we've even talked about the catch that Jatavian Sanders had against BYU, that one-handed yeah. grab where he got decked and he held on. That was huge. Yeah. I mean, the last time he got decked like that, it led to an interception in the OU game, which he wasn't healthy. He shouldn't have been playing. But, yeah, man, that was a big-time catch. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll talk to Chris Hummer, our national college football writer, at 130. So uh, everybody uh, sit tight for the best segment of college football anywhere. And we'll talk to Hank Murphy of Horns 24-7, get the latest on the recruiting front uh, involving the Longhorns, get Hank's thoughts on, on this epic showdown Saturday at 11 a.m. Um, and don't forget that Ricky Williams celebrating the 25th anniversary of his Heisman Trophy this weekend, being honored at DKR, and will be appearing with Bucky and BK Friday morning out at uh, Covert Bee Cave. So make your, make your plans. He's going to be signing autographs, doing stuff, taking pictures out there at Covert Bee Cave. So... Uh, you know, make your plans for that now because, um, oh, did I say? Oh, sorry, yeah, Hank. I was about to say, is that Hank's real name? Like Hank Murphy? I'll just let you roll. <laughs> Hank <laughs> South. Know. Okay. All right. Yeah. Hank See, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, Murphy. I was like, hmm. I was like, pretty sure it's South, but he might have another name that you might call him, you know, you Horns 24-7 guys might have y'all's different slang and lingo. You might call you something that I don't know about. So yeah, I'll just let you roll with it, baby. I got I got Malik Murphy and Hank South <laughs> on the mind at the same time. Um, yeah, Hank South will be joining us at 215 to talk a little recruiting. Um, Hank South of Horns 247.com. <laughs> Hank South, good personal friend. Um Good dude, Hank South. So, um, Zay, I look at this thing, and the line is coming down in this in this one. 
Opened at five and a half. It's down to four. Yeah, that's high. That's high. That might be high. Yeah. Mm. We see what my friends over at uh, Scores and Odds have to say. Yeah, man. I know we like to make fun of Avery Johnson for his hair and obviously black Avery, Spurs legend. But, dude, that dude... He's nice, man. <laughs> Watching film on him, he's nice. Like, I could see why, you know, Chris Kleiman and Colin Kine like that dude. Like, that, he's got some juice, man. And he's got some swag. Like, the hair is more swaggy than you think. Like, it's way more swaggy than you think. It's just because, I don't know, man. Homie's got wheels. And, yeah, I know Will Howard... He's been solid, but that Oklahoma State game that you mentioned, Chip, where he threw three interceptions, that's low-key put him in the doghouse. That's low-key, you know. They still have confidence in him, but that's why you're seeing old Avery out there. Plus, Avery's proven himself these last three weeks that you could trust the freshman, especially when he runs the ball. So, yeah, I know Texas, this is going to be the best run defense that they've faced, which is good, but I don't want Texas knowing that both of those guys, Howard and Johnson, could put the ball on the deck and run that thing. I hope they don't go to that passive defense in the secondary where they're playing off, just trying to scope all that stuff out. They can't do that, you know, just because Keaton Slovis, he don't got no type of mobile ability, don't mean that you go back to that passive defense that you played against Donovan Smith and Dylan Gabriel. You can't do that. you got to trust what you work on weekly, trust the process and your training. And Pete Kukowski, you're going to have to trust these guys that, you know, they can play tight. They don't have to have all that gap coverage in the secondary. And what they did against BYU, like, that should show you, okay, especially against those Kansas State wide receivers who – Man, you face better wide receiver uh, crew than these guys. I mean, other than Brooks, they really don't got no one. Like, they use Giddens and Ward more as wide receivers and put those guys in situations like, yeah, uh, what's his name? Giddens. He took one to the house on a little swing pass against TCU like it was nothing. Like, it was nothing. Like, they threw in the backfield just a little check down, Will Howard, bang, and that dude took it like 60 yards. So... You've got to worry about those guys, but the receivers, man, Gavin Holmes, Terrence Brooks, who played, both of those guys played really well. Malik Muhammad, throw them in there, and now you got Ryan Watts back. Yo, play tighter coverage and do what you did last week. Even though Slovis is different than Johnson and Will Howard, you got to bring that same energy against this guy. You cannot play scared, and Pete Bukowski, you cannot call scared. Yeah, I agree. You got to dictate. And, you know, Jalen Catalan is not coming through that door. So, you know, hits on the quarterback are going to be enormous in this game. And the one thing about Avery Johnson is it's been hard to get a good clean hit on him. You have to you someone has to kind of grab him and hold him. And then someone comes in and clean him up because, yo, you allowed to pull the hair? I'm pretty sure yeah. you're allowed to pull the hair. That's a part of it. Yo, we're sending the message early. Pull hair. When we get to him, we grabbing him, then we going to grab his ass by the hair, dude. We pull it, we snatching that, like whiplash type shit. 
just to let them know, look, yo, this ain't the same defense that you've seen throughout your young career as a freshman at Kansas State. Like, it's, yeah, it needs to be personal. How they used to do all those cats that had dreads back in the day, whoever you were, yo, you got to have that type of energy. Yeah, send a message. Because you're right. He's a slippery son of a bee. He don't get hit. He don't get hit like he... He'll either juke your ass or he'll run out of bounds or he'll go down before you get a clean shot. But, yeah, that's a slippery, slippery dude right there. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's the key. I mean, that's the key because, like, if you had to say what your biggest concern is, you would say it's the quarterback run game? Yeah. Yeah. And, the fact, than- that, and the fact that you don't know which one's going to be hot. Like, and what, what was Pete Lukowski? You got to prepare for both. I understand it's the same scheme and stuff, but you got to prepare for both. And is Texas, do they have enough time to do that in a productive manner? I, I don't know, you know, like I can shout out to John A. Barron. I saw that he's a finalist for the Thorpe award. Like that dude, he's going to have to, you know, come through because he was quietly one of the best players against BYU with the tip pass that led to the Terrence Brooks interception. And then he kind of started off the game with a pretty hard hit. Like one of the first plays of the game, he had a hit that went for no yards or maybe a tackle for loss. But yeah, that dude, he just sets the tone for that secondary. And I don't think he's a semifinalist. Huh? He's a semifinalist for the Okay, there we go. One of 15. They'll they'll, they'll pare it down to three toward the end of the regular season. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, look, Jade is a guy who's going to have to play a big role on Saturday. I mean, he's going to – he needs to be making play after play. And and you know what's promising too, Chip? Seeing Jermon Tapp and Justice Finkley, I know you called those guys out last week about seeing more out of them, especially with Ethan Burt not being on the field. And those guys were good. Those guys were good. And like, I'm going to have to keep saying this because Keaton Slovis, that dude, he ain't want to move at all. He had that one run on the third down where, you know, he almost could have had a touchdown. But you, you could tell he really didn't want to go. And... These other two guys that you're going to face this Saturday, they'll take off. But, yeah, all you can do is play the guys in front of you. And I thought Tap and Flinkley, both of those guys were really solid in the absence of Ethan Burt. So CB says, and what up, CB? He says, uh, what Oklahoma State's doing with Ollie Gordon, Texas should be doing with Jonathan Brooks, especially with a backup quarterback in. I agree with that plan for this week. I absolutely agree with that plan for this week. This was a game last year where, um, you know, Bijan Robinson had what thirty carries, um, yeah, thirty carries for two hundred and nine yards. This is a game you absolutely want to control the clock. You want to you want to beat K State at their own game, which is what Texas did to them last year. Um. You know, Quinn Ewers, he threw a touchdown pass to Xavier Worthy after getting a short field on an interception from Jalen Ford. They didn't, you know, they, they they weren't throwing it all over the place in this game last year. In fact, 
Uh, Quinn Ewers in this game a year ago was 18 of 31 for 197 yards and two touchdowns. And the, the two touchdowns um, came in the first half. Yeah, both of them were to Xavier Worthy. Both of them were in the second quarter. And the second half was the Bijan Robinson show. Texas got up 31 to 10 and and they just put it on the ground. I mean, they didn't put it on the ground. They just used their ground game, used Bijan Robinson to hammer. And I love that. Love that game plan this week. And What's amazing, this is really, to me, the most mystifying aspect of this game is K-State's defense. That they lose Felix Anyaduke Uzoma. They lose Daniel Green in the Missouri game to a torn pack. They lose Julius Brents, their six foot three corner. They lose one of their experienced safeties, and they're playing better defense this season than they were. They lost six starters from their defense last year, and they're playing better this year. Now, is that because they haven't played the best, you know, offenses in the in the league? They haven't played Texas. They haven't played OU. And how good are the offenses in the Big 12 this year? Uh, obviously, Ali Gordon, you know, they got a, they got a solid taste of, of Ali Gordon. But yeah, like 21 carries, 136 yards. Yeah. Solid. Yeah. Solid. So I'm, I, I'm like, I'm looking at these numbers and I'm going K state's defense is putting up these crazy numbers and has this ridiculous, you know, scoring defense. But I'm like, is this, is it because of who they played? Is it because, they're that good. I mean, they're only giving up 15.9 points per game. Texas only giving up 16 points per game. These are the two best defenses in the conference. And, you know, as far as run defense, uh, K-State is um, right behind Texas, giving up 109 yards per game on the ground, 3.7 yards per carry texas only giving up 90 97.9 yards per game on the ground 3.2 yards per carry you know this is a game where the texas defense and special teams needs to come through just like they did last week you know put some doubt put some doubt into these k-state quarterbacks minds they've they've had it too good for the last two games, you know, they're making it look like, oh, two quarterback system, that's the way to go. Like, no one does this. No one does this except for Urban Meyer with Chris Leak and Tim Tebow. And Tebow was their red zone quarterback. Leak was their quarterback between the 20s. These guys, it's like whoever has the hot hand, you know, and it's weird. And Will yeah. Howard is like, it is what it is. TCU, one had a series, the other one come out, the next one get a series. It didn't matter 
how good they did. They rolled TCU 41-3. But still, that's like, how do you get in the rhythm? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's that's hard to do. And Texas, you're right, man. They need to make them pay for it because that's not a normal thing. And, you know, this defensive line, they turned it up against BYU, just getting that pressure, making those quarterbacks know that they're there, and just not allowing Ward and Giddings to get going. You know, that offensive line for Kansas State, one of the best, not only in the Big 12, but in the nation, man. Like, BB, that dude's probably going first round. Gilliam, solid. You know, Levinston, tough. Like, that offensive line, they move folks, and they were laying dudes out in the Houston game. Pancaking dudes to where Dana Hogerson's squad, they look like they ain't even want to be there in Manhattan. So you can't, you know, Anthony Hill, David Benda, I love what Morris Brackwell's bringing to the table. He finally looks 100% healthy, and, you know, we see that Michael Taft's kind of coming into his own by being a ball hawk. Derek Williams is still just going over the top in expectations from a freshman standpoint. Like, you can't – that's what I'm saying. Like, Pete needs to understand that this team, they got hitters, man. They got dudes that want to make plays and can make plays. So the play calling has to be money. You cannot be passive anymore. Like, they were so passive against Oklahoma. It still pisses me off. Still pisses me off. Because you got Kansas out there getting in their shit, getting pick sixes and stuff on Dylan Gabriel. And I'm like, it could be done? Really? Like, they made Dylan Gabriel look like Tua. You know what I'm saying? So... It could, you gotta have more confidence in that defense and what they showed against BYU, especially with a lot of second string guys. Like you just mentioned, Jalen Catalan, he ain't coming back. I doubt if Ethan Burke comes back. So you got guys that are in the starting lineup that you don't have no more, and they didn't allow a touchdown against a team that's now five and three and went to Arkansas and won that game. In that type of environment, Texas fans, you know what that environment's like. It gets real up in Fayetteville. So I'm not trying to hear no passive. Are we 15 yards back, you know, from the wide receiver at the line of scrimmage? That's such an easy, quick slant for 10 yards. That's what Houston did the whole time. Like, what are we doing? Like, that shit can't happen. And, yeah, that's this team, Kansas State, they going to bring it. They gonna bring it because they, they gonna bring it. They see the oh. standings. Oh yeah, let's bring in our man who always brings it—the one and only Chris Hummer, national college football writer for twenty-four-seven Sports. See, he's got himself muted there. Now, my bad, my bad. He's, What's up? He's unmuted. <laughs> Hummer, how you doing? Not bad, y'all. Now that I know how to work a computer, oh, I'm doing better. Hey man, you we got you. You got us. It's all it's all good. We were obviously just talking about the Texas Kansas State game, Hummer, and this is this truly is a championship game. Saturday at eleven at DKR. You know that K State offensive line, this quarterback run game against Texas's run defense, which has been so good all year. What do you think about this matchup? What is what's the matchup that is going to decide this thing? 
I think you might have just said it. I'm I'm very curious. Like K State's really found something offensively since they switched to that platoon between Walker, not Walker Howard. I'm sorry, Will Howard. Uh, Walker Howard is an LS or an Ole Miss quarterback. Uh, Will Howard and um, Avery Johnson, their true freshman. What up, Chris? Their true freshman uh, quarterback. And they've really found something on offense since they made that switch. I think it just gives the offense a little bit more pop offensively. It really provides them another look. But Texas has, I think, the best run defense in the Big 12, and it's not particularly close. It's hard to run on that defense, or it's hard to run on that defensive line of Texas in that front. So whichever group there um, has the most success, I think will largely decide this game. Although I am pretty curious um, about how Will Will Howard stacks up as a passer against the Texas secondary that has, frankly, had its issues the last couple weeks. Yeah, Chris, going back to the BYU game, I mean, Malik Murphy's first start, and I was saying all last week that the rest of the team has to make it as easy as possible for Malik Murphy to go out there and produce, and they did that. Xavier Wordy giving the pick six. You don't allow a touchdown for the defense, only six points total. So Malik Murphy, even with the turnovers that he had, he could settle in and be comfortable due to the rest of the Horn squad having success. Do you think they'll be able to do that again against this Kansas State squad? Or what does Malik Murphy have to do or what does Sark have to do with Malik Murphy for this Horns team to win on and stay in first place in the Big 12? I would imagine this game is a lot less comfortable for Texas in that regard. I mean, Kansas State, I don't think Kansas State's allowed a touchdown in the last nine quarters it's played. So it's playing at a pretty elite defensive level. And like one of those games was against Houston, which Texas obviously had its struggles against. And one of those games was against TCU, which say what you will about TCU this year. That is a team that moves the football, um, usually at least. So this Kansas State defense is playing lights out. And really, I think it's going to come down to Malik Murphy and really the whole Texas offense taking care of the ball. I think Texas has turned the ball over seven times in their last three games. And those have, and that's made the last three games kind of uncomfortable if you're a Texas fan. Even the BYU game, I would argue, was a lot closer the final score would probably indicate. Um, and in the first two games, I think Texas had two total turnovers. Or first five games, Texas had two total turnovers. So Texas needs to take care of the football because if it gives up the football um, against Kansas State, it gets, puts itself in short field, it puts the defense in short fields, I think it could spell a lot of trouble. So Malik Murphy needs to take care of the ball. I think it, this would be a smart week to lean on Jonathan Brooks if you can get that run game going. This would be a week where I'd want Jonathan Brooks getting 25, 30 carries potentially. Um, you grind Kansas State down, and Texas, frankly, does have the better athletes. You open up play action over the top, give Malik Murphy some comfortable throws uh, to ease him into the game. I think that's the formula Texas needs to beat Kansas State this weekend. Yeah, we're going to find out a lot about Malik Murphy because – the poor guy is not going to get judged on a curve. He's going to get judged on if he wins this game or not. And in his second career start, um, you know, that's he's going to have to learn on the fly, learn on the job. What what did you see from him, Hummer, in, in the BYU game that, that makes you – you know, obviously he had the turnovers, but what did you see that made you think he can go out and win this game against K-State? 
I thought he responded to a pretty slow start well. And I, I think that's what you want to see out of somebody. I mean, he's still a redshirt freshman. He hardly played as a true freshman. Well, I mean, he doesn't really play. But he was hurt for most of his true freshman um, season. Um, was really banged up coming into that year. So this is his really first full year of football. And I thought when put in an adverse situation, he ended up responding really well. Um, I think if I was looking for something that would worry me as a Texas fan a little bit, like his footwork kind of got sloppy there for a long time. Something we mentioned with Quinn Ewers quite a bit, especially in the face of pressure. You'd like that to be a little more consistent, but I think Malik Murphy settled into his role on Saturday, especially when Texas had the lead. Um, I think he was good under pressure for the most part. Um, And I think he handled uh, the environment really well. If Kansas state was on the road, I think this might be a different conversation, but given that this game is in DKR, I think Malik Murphy showed enough on Saturday for Texas to feel comfortable heading into this weekend. All right, Homer, we got five teams tied in the Big 12 for first place right now. And as of today, which two teams are going to Jerry World from Texas, Kansas State, Iowa State, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State? I mean, I'd still be shocked if it was Texas and if it wasn't Texas and Oklahoma. I'm frankly shocked. I, I, I need to make a couple calls this week on this. Like, I'm just... I'm a little confused about how Oklahoma State's in this position. Like Oklahoma State is being good, Big 12 teams. I don't get it. The roster is not really where you'd expect an Oklahoma State roster to be. But that's it. just keep winning football games. You can say the same thing about Iowa State, which is quietly like really good, despite all the things that have gone wrong with them. Um, they're missing several key starters, including their quarterback, from an offseason gambling scandal. And they've rallied this year, including a win over Oklahoma State. Um, But I think Kansas State, Texas, and Oklahoma are the three best teams in the league. I would throw Kansas in there if Jalen Daniels was healthy as well. Um, I still feel that way despite those other um, two teams kind of breaking that pack. So um, if Texas wins this weekend, I think Oklahoma takes care of business in Bedlam. And those are still the two teams I would project to be uh, meeting in Arlington in a couple weeks. Yeah, I... Before the season started, I thought um, I thought Texas would handle this game against K-State and then really struggle to get its, you know, self together on the road at TCU or, or at Iowa State. And now it, I think there's an urgency among the players. They know that K-State's a tough physical Team. They were in this game a year ago. They remember what was going on. And they can't be thinking about winning, having won six in a row, which is astounding to me, Hummer, as, as someone who remembers Josh Freeman torching. It didn't matter who was coaching K-State. Ron Prince, Bill Snyder. It was always problems handling the purple kryptonite. Now it's a six-game winning streak, and Chris Kleiman is 0 for 4 against Texas. You know, that's not sitting well with him. I'm just amazed at their defense because they lose Felix on Yuduke Uzama. They lose Julius Brents. They lose six starters, and they're playing better defense this year than they were last year. Yeah, 100%. And this is not this isn't really a defense that played that well early in the year. Um, they gave up, I think, 30 to Missouri. Brady Cook let them up. Um, they had a lot of trouble with UCF in that first like Big 12 debut. Um, UCF ran for whatever they wanted. I think they lost Oklahoma State on a day where Ollie Gordon ran for 150 yards. 
And then just for whatever reason, the last three weeks, the defense, maybe it's because like the offense hasn't really been where Kansas State needs it to be or they found the right personnel groupings. I don't I don't have a great explanation for it, but they've just been playing the best football you've seen all year. And it does kind of make me wonder um, if Kansas State isn't prone to a bit of a step back there because like this is a essentially two and a half game sample size we've seen of Kansas State defense playing this way as opposed to an entire season. But yeah, um, for whatever reason, they've really rallied in Big 12 play. Um, you don't see college football teams, even the best ones, going nine quarters without allowing a touchdown. It just doesn't happen. Um, at some point, you're going to break. At some point, you're going to give up a big play. And Kansas State is keeping the ball in front of them. Um, they're creating turnovers, and they're playing some of the most effective football in the country. Who would you say wins at DKR at 11 a.m. this Saturday, Chris? I uh, hedged pretty hard. Um, I have Kansas State. I think it was a four-point line, right? So I had Kansas State covering that line, but I have Texas winning by a field goal. I think. I think at the end of the day, um, Texas just has the better roster. If this was a if this was a game in Manhattan, Kansas, I think I would be picking Kansas State um, with that game happening there. But given that it's in Austin, given that Texas knows that it has everything to play for, given that Texas still, and I think this is the this is the thing that raises Texas above everybody else. Like even in close games, Texas has the playmakers on the outside. They have Xavier Worthy. They have A.D. Mitchell. Um, they have Jordan Weddington when he's healthy, when he's going right. They have Jonathan Brooks. They have Jatavian Sanders. And those are guys who can break a game open, even against a good defense. And Kansas State, for all of its success, doesn't have those type of playmakers um, right now. And that's why I like, even in what I expect to be a close game, I expect Texas to win this game. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hummer, this uh, this is a monumental week in the SEC. LSU going into Tuscaloosa. Your thoughts? Well, like two and a half weeks ago, I would have picked LSU to pull this upset, but LSU is missing, I think, three starting cornerbacks right now. Uh, never a good sign. They're missing their best defensive player outside of Harold Perkins, Makai Wingo. Star defensive lineman might be a first-round pick. He's out for six weeks uh, because of uh, ankle surgery. And the Tigers, a defense, I think that ranks 107th nationally in yards allowed per play, are missing probably five of their seven most important defensive players. Um, it's not a good recipe going into Tuscaloosa um, on a Saturday evening. Uh, Texas managed to pull that game off earlier this year in an adverse environment. And frankly, LSU has the best starting quarterback in the country right now. Jaden Daniels is playing better than everybody else, but you still have to, you have to create stops even against a sometimes sputtering Alabama offense. And I just, I just can't see LSU creating enough of them on Saturday. I, I really like Alabama this weekend. You think it's comfortable? I don't know about comfortable because I think, I think LSU Malik neighbors, star wide receiver, um, they've got Logan Diggs at running back. Uh, they have an offensive line that's playing really well. I think Jaden Daniels is going to keep this game close. And that's going to keep them in the game. But ultimately, like Alabama has the best defense LSU's seen all year. And I think um, Jalen Milrow makes enough plays to get Alabama a dub on Saturday and keep Alabama in that playoff mix, kind of like that white walker. That's just like slowly walking <laughs> towards the playoffs like normal. Like Alabama's figured out a way to rally. Uh, from that Texas game. And if they get past this hurdle, Alabama is in excellent shape to go into Atlanta and play Georgia. 
Mm, man, that'd be crazy. All right, Homer, Mike Gundy's record in the Bedlam game, not good, not good at all. And this might be the last time he gets to play him for a very long time. You already mentioned that you feel like Oklahoma should pull this game out, but they're coming off a pissed off loss from Kansas, which was shocking to the whole nation. How do you think this game's going to go with the way that Ollie Gordon leading the nation and running looks right now? Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think I, I'm sure y'all would agree being in Dallas, like one thing that was pretty obvious um, in that game is Texas's defensive front as a problem. And when you saw Texas play Kansas, like man for man, like Kansas could not run the football. Um, as creative as that Kansas offensive staff is, Kansas could not run the football in Texas. Kansas did not have that problem against Oklahoma. Like Kansas, even uh, when it wasn't manufacturing runs with some of the eye candy that they do, was were able to produce yards on the ground and run the football consistently. And I think Oklahoma is going to have that problem against Oklahoma State. Um, I expect Oklahoma to win this game, but I don't think they have the defensive front to control Ollie Gordon. And I think Oklahoma State keeps it close for a long time. Um, if you've ever been to Stillwater, um, that is one of the, I think, more underrated environments in college football. Um, especially when that crowd is going. It feels like the crowd is right on top of you because there's almost no room on the sidelines. Um, the separation between the stands and the field feels like it's like a three-foot putt like on a golf course, right? Like it's just right there. And I think given the hostility that's part of this game, given what this means for Oklahoma State, it means a heck of a lot more to Oklahoma State than it does to Oklahoma, I imagine, uh, with them kind of being the spurn lover. I think they keep this close, even though Oklahoma is the much more talented team. I don't expect Oklahoma to lose two in a row, but if I was a betting man, I would certainly take Oklahoma State to cover this week. Yeah, I don't get this. I don't get Gundy being three and 15 against OU. He's a better coach than that. He's had better players than that or coached up these players that he finds. That's a it's a mystifying one. I could, I could see Gundy pulling this rabbit out of his hat and really screwing up the, the Big Twelve race. Um, but, I mean, if you're just, just looking for, if you're just looking for entertainment, like I would give like even odds to Mike Gundy just taking his shirt off in celebration if they win. <laughs> like he's gonna, he's going to be like a wrestling heel if they win on Saturday, and it will be. Yeah incredibly entertaining so if if you're just rooting for just like chaos and you're rooting for a good time like root for oklahoma state this weekend because i can only imagine the celebration that would come out of Stillwater if they pull that off 230 is that game um yeah what was the biggest surprise to you hummer about that kansas win over ou I think the biggest surprise, and I was we Chip and I both know Kevin Flaherty. We were talking about this. One of the bigger KU, more knowledgeable KU people in the world, is what I just talked about. Um, Kansas's ability to run the ball consistently against Oklahoma's front. Um, Oklahoma's made a lot of changes up front defensively, um, and that mattered against Texas. They no longer have only a couple defensive linemen who have to play fifty or sixty snaps a game. They're rotating heavily. Um, they've been more effective. Uh, than Alex Grinch really will, ever was um, in his tenure there. But Oklahoma still lacks the dudes that you need up front uh, to win consistently in the SEC. And I saw Kansas move the ball on the ground pretty much at will against them. I think Kansas controlled that game offensively in a way that you wouldn't expect 
with the talent differential between those two programs. And I think if you're talking about Oklahoma moving forward, that is the most problematic aspect of this. Um, if Oklahoma makes the Big 12 championship game, they're going to have to play Texas again. And I think it would be a much different story based on at least what we saw Saturday in Lawrence. Um, plus, like, Dylan Gabriel, like, I don't know if it's because of Andrell Anthony. I don't know if it's because Dylan Gabriel played the game of his life against Texas and he's not quite playing to the same level, but it hasn't really been the same for Dylan Gabriel um, since he left the Cotton Bowl. And maybe that's just the environment there. And I still think he's a very good quarterback, but I think you're seeing some of the limitations of Dylan Gabriel the last two weeks. Yeah. Chris, what's going down in Clemson right now? Seems like Dabble Sweeney is losing it. He's going off on people who are just trying to listen to the show, talking about four and four. The record's not good. Your five-star quarterback looks like he might be a bust, even though he's a Westlake alum and he probably still has more to fight for. But right now it's not looking too good down there for the Tigers. What's going on? Yeah, you know, uh, you know, coaching tenure is interesting when the call, coach's call show gets spicy. Um, <laughs> I can't imagine just like Sark getting a road question at Pluckers, even though it would be pretty entertaining. Um, but yeah, it's, I think, honestly, I'm going to spin this like forward for Clemson. In some ways, I think this might have been a good thing that this is happening to Clemson this year. Um, Dabo Sweeney kind of all shucks his way around things. He's always like, what does he say? Like 12 years of 10 plus wins. We're only like the third team in the 20th, 21st century to do that. He's always got a stat that really, um, boosts his resume. And it's totally understandable. He's like one of the like, three or four most successful coaches of the last 40 years. Like there's no question about it, but what he is, is very stubborn. Um, he's unwilling to make changes on his coaching staff. And I think this particular season is going to force him to make wholesale changes. I don't anticipate Garrett Riley losing his job. He's got a pretty big contract and I would imagine he gets a year or two there, but everybody else on that staff, especially that offensive staff, I think is in danger. And a lot of those staff members have been with Davos Sweeney for a decade plus. Like he has his guys. He has a very comfortable way of running his program. And I think this season is going to force Davos Sweeney to adapt. Um, this is the first time Davos Sweeney's lost four games since I believe 2010 when they went six and seven, this is clearly not working. So Davos Sweeney can go one of two directions. He can keep cashing checks, do his like play his way and they're going to continue to lose football games or he can co with the rest of the college football, make some staff changes, embrace the transfer portal and potentially resume Clemson's, Clemson's status as an annual contender. Those are the only two routes. And I would imagine as competitive as Davos Sweeney is, he'll take the route of change. But I think Clemson needed this season for him ultimately to take that route. Tyler from Spartanburg. Oh, my God. He was going on and on and on. And finally, Dabo just had to say, uh, I've heard enough from you. But the sad thing is, if if Dabo ends up getting rid of staff, it's because he was slow to adapt. Like, those fired assistants would be like, well, if Dabo would have hit the portal, we would, <laughs> we'd still have a job. But um, Clemson, let's see, who are they playing this? Oh, they're playing uh, Notre Dame, for God's sake. Yeah, Clemson's in real danger of going uh, six and six this year. Like, they could win. They, I think they get Notre Dame this week and then Georgia Tech, North Carolina, South Carolina. Like, Clemson could go five and seven this year, like, very easily um, if things don't turn around. And 
It's not like Clemson isn't recruiting well. Um, they have Bryant Wesco, five-star receiver at Midlothian High School from Texas. Um, I think he's our top-ranked receiver in the 24-7 sports rankings. They have Sammy Brown, one of the top linebacker recruits of the last decade. So they're they're still bringing in talent, but like you got to supplement that in another way. And it is Clemson's and Davos Sweeney's reluctance to use the portal that I think has really put them in this position. Yeah. Well, what about you got uh, Jimbo Fisher? Uh, taking on Lane Kiffin. I'm sad that this game is also at 11 a.m. on Saturday, but uh, Jimbo going into uh, Ole Miss. Your thoughts, Hummer? You want to hear a stat that I was shocked about? Um, just like researching for games this week. Texas A&M has lost eight straight true road games, which is the fourth longest street in the FBS. This is Texas A&M, a program that pays Jimbo Fisher $10 million annually. Texas A&M, a program that is one of the more active from an NIL standpoint. Texas A&M, a program that has five stars all over the roster, has lost eight straight true road games. Mm. Um, that's, I mean, it's, it's awful. Um, and I wouldn't say this is a put up or shut up moment for Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher, but like, if he wants to quiet some hot seat talk, like this would be a real good week to turn that record around because if he loses this week and they lose to LSU in a couple weeks, like it could get real spicy for Jimbo Fisher, no matter what his buyout is. Um, so I think Texas A&M needs to figure out a way to get this done. Uh, Texas A&M has been close in a lot of these games that they've lost close. I think Texas A&M is a really good football team that suffers um, from some deficiencies along the offensive line and some deficiencies from Jimbo Fisher's um, way of managing a game. Uh, but I, I mean, maybe I'm just dumb, but I think Texas A&M has a really good chance of going to Oxford this week and upsetting Ole Miss. Um, I think Ole Miss um, is a bit overrated at this point. Um, I think Texas A&M's defensive front has the opportunity to control this game, but it also just depends on if Max Johnson can make enough plays and Jimbo Fisher can get out of his own way. Hummer seems like Washington, they've struggled these last two weeks. I mean, they only put up 15 points against Arizona State a couple of weeks ago. Then you allowed 33 points against Stanford, even though they put up 43. And they're still winning, but now they got the Heisman Trophy winner coming into town. And we know that they have their own problems down there at Southern Cal, barely beating what Cal by one point this past weekend. But if you're a Texas fan, you're watching that Washington team because you need them to take an L if you want to potentially get to a college football playoff. Well, I would say Washington would be on upset alert this week and Texas fans should be really happy. And I think they are to a degree, but like, you know what? You know what Washington gets to take this week? They get to take a little bit of that USC Alex Grinch defense medication. Like, and it's made everybody, it's made everybody look good. I think, well, I'm just looking at the last like couple weeks for USC's defense. They gave up 41 to Colorado, 41 to Arizona, 48 to Notre Dame, 34 to Utah, a team that cannot move the football, 49 to Cal. Like, what do you think Michael Penix is going to do? He has three of the best receivers in the country. Um, I think Washington needs to get back in rhythm. And you know what's a great time to get back in rhythm? It's it gets a team that, bust run fits all the time it's a it's a team that busts in coverage all the time like this is an opportunity for washington to put up a lot of points i think it'll be close because i think caleb williams can keep usc in a lot of games but um yeah i i have a hard time seeing the trojans the way they're playing right now pulling this upset even being in los angeles take the over yeah 100 if the, i would i don't know what the over under is in this game but if it's not in the 80s um in terms of the total <laughs> 
Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, Oregon and Washington played one of the best games in college football this season. And Oregon looks like they've gotten better since the loss. Washington looks like Penix is, you know, his girlfriend broke up with him or something. I don't know what's going on, but they got to, they got to get it figured out here. And, and uh, like you said, but Cal at Oregon, your thoughts on Oregon. I think Oregon's, I think it's a pretty, I think Oregon and Texas profile kind of similar to each other, if that makes sense. And that they both have one loss, but I think coming out of those games that you could argue that the team that lost is probably the better team. If they played 10 times, so let's say Texas plays Oklahoma 10 times, I'd probably pick Texas to win 70% of those games. And if Oregon and Washington played 10 times, I don't know if it'd be 70%, but I would pick Oregon to win 60% of them. Um, Oregon is one of the few contenders nationally that has a top 20 defense and a top 20 offense. Um, That offense led by Bo Nix is playing outstanding football. I think they rank second nationally in terms of yards per play. Um, They are moving the ball at will and their defense is playing at a really elite level too, which I think is the key. They have a ton of balance and frankly, like at least compared to Washington in terms of like looking at the schedules, Oregon's friendly schedule is reasonably friendly. They get Cal, USC, Arizona state, Oregon state, whereas I believe Washington still has to play three more ranked teams plus the apple cup. Um, So that's a really tough road. So I think Oregon profiles as a college football playoff team, I think Oregon is playing out a way that they weren't under Mario Cristobal. I think the Utah game represents that shift. Um, I think Utah has out physical Oregon in the past, and Dan Lanning has made that change. Um, so if Utah, if Oregon can get to the Pac-12 championship game unscathed, I think this is a team that Texas will be competing with head-to-head for one of those playoff spots potentially. Well, speaking of that, the college football playoff committee rankings come out tonight for the first time. What uh, What are you expecting, Hummer? Um, probably like a lot of like Halloween puns and just some like bad questions to the committee chairman who's not going to say anything. Um, but I think Ohio state's going to be the number one team tonight. Um, that might surprise some people, but if, when you look at resume strength, of schedule, I think Ohio state has the best resume overall, even if Michigan and Georgia have been the two most dominant teams. I frankly think Florida state might actually be the number two team in the ranking as well. Um, I think Georgia and Michigan could rank three, four. Um, so that's what I'm watching. I'm very curious as well, like from a Texas perspective to see how the committee sorts through the one loss teams. It's rather complicated because obviously Washington's beating Oregon, even though Oregon probably passes the eye test a little bit more. Oklahoma beat Texas, Texas beat Alabama, and those five teams are all bunched up together. So I'm very curious how the committee separates them because that's going to matter as the season goes along. So um, those are the two things I'm watching. Who ends up number one and then how they sort through those five or six uh, one-loss teams uh, that still have a chance to make the college football playoff. So you think Georgia's number three, even though they boat raced Florida in the world's largest cocktail party and have a chance to beat the hell out of Missouri this week? I, I do, yeah. I think Georgia's strength of schedule is like 102nd nationally and Michigan's is like 110th. Michigan and Georgia, neither one of them have a top 25 win on their resume. Um, cause Kentucky's fallen off a little bit for Georgia, obviously. Um, so I think the committee, at least to this point in the season is going to respect, um, resume and strength of schedule a little bit more than they would two teams that have dominated, but done so against less stellar competition. All right. Any, any other upset alerts, Hummer this week? Uh, yeah, I, 
picked a couple upsets if I'm like looking through my stuff. Um, I have Arizona beating UCLA. Um, I know it's not really a national upset. Um, and I would have to look more at the schedule, but I, I really think there's a chance Maryland beats Penn State this week. Um, I know that sounds ridiculous given the game Maryland just lost to Northwestern, but uh, Maryland outside of last week is playing some pretty good football, has the offense and defense necessary to push Penn State, and Penn State's been really pedestrian offensively. And I think they're in position, like they almost did last week against Indiana, to potentially get caught. So that's a game I've got my eye on. Hummer, you're the best, man. We always look forward to it every Tuesday. Appreciate you, man. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Thanks, Hummer. Appreciate you. There he is. Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer for 24-7 Sports, the best segment of college football you'll hear anywhere. Lots of good stuff in there. Uh, you know who else has lots of good stuff, and that is Apple Leasing. Apple Leasing. They're going to get you into any make or model of car. And you're going to get into a better car than you thought you could afford because you're not paying for the future trade-in value of that car. And that's a big deal because, you know, even when you go buy a used car, it depreciates. As soon as you drive it off the lot, you buy a new car, it depreciates a lot. Um, you lease from Apple Leasing, you're only paying for the car while you're driving it. So you can get into a better car than you thought you could afford. And you're in a new car. Because so many, I used to only buy used cars because I didn't want to pay for that future trade-in value. I didn't want the car to depreciate. So go to AppleLeasing.com, look at the, the deals, or maybe you know exactly what car you want and let Scott Cross it in the gang over at Apple Leasing take care of you. Because they're like your car concierge. They're going to get you whatever make and model of car you want. Doesn't matter what kind of car it is they're gonna go get it for you and they'll even put a bow on it and put it in your driveway if you're getting it for christmas or whatever just call 346-9977 go to appleleasing.com tell them chip brown sent you say um we're gonna talk to hank south of horns 24 7 at 215. Um, obviously, Texas basketball had uh, an exhibition game last night. They took on St. Ed's. Rodney Terry's Rodney Terry coached at St. Ed's. And I'll tell you the one thing that stuck out to me. Did you watch this? Yep. Okay. One thing that stuck out to me was Dylan Mitchell coming alive in the second half. And I need this uh, Dylan Mitchell, for those of you who didn't watch it, Dylan Mitchell to me is the guy with the most upside, the most potential, um, the guy who can elevate his game the most this year. And if if this line or anything close to it, 14 points on seven of 10 shooting, nine rebounds, four offensive, um, I'll even live with the four turnovers. But two blocks, three steals. I mean, I thought Dylan Mitchell was, that was, that's what I want to see from Dylan Mitchell. 
Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, the dude's an athletic freak. And I think if he wants to get to the next level, obviously his jump shot has to improve. But he has to show those NBA scouts that he's a willing defender. You know, uh, those steals that he had that led to the breakaway dunks. He had a nasty windmill with the right hand, his offhand. Like, the dude is just ridiculously athletic. And last year, I thought just with him being a freshman and the lack of experience, you know, playing at that level and at that speed, he kind of got just lost on the defensive end to where, you know, Chris Beard slash Rodney Terry, you couldn't trust them when it came to winning time. You would see, you know, the Sue of Timmy Allen playing the four, then Serge Ibari Rice along with Hunter and Marcus Carr. Well, now he's going to have to play those minutes, especially with the Sue and Caden Shedrick being out for a little bit. He's going to probably be the four a lot of the time. I'm looking at him getting over 30-something minutes a game. So he has to be locked in defensively. And his versatility with his speed and his athleticism, that should have him ahead of the curve. It's just about being a willing defender. Like, you got to want to play deep. It's not very fun. It's not very flashy. But P.J. Tucker, who just got traded, you know, we'll get to that in the right call, James Harden, that dude's made a living off of defense in the corner three. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can make a living off playing defense, and if you develop a jump shot, depending on what team you're on. And to B.J. Tucker, he's only been on contenders for the rest of his career. And Dylan Mitchell's way more athletic than P.J. Tucker. So, yeah, I was excited about his play yesterday. I didn't like the start, obviously. I mean, you go down 10 points to a D2 team. I don't give a damn if the Sewer, Caden Shedrick are out. Those things can't happen. I'm glad they turned it up and ended up winning by 21. You know, Ace missed 18 points, Tyrese Hunter 22. That's good and all. But, hey, this team showed me, Chip, that they're going to struggle at times just because the lack of size. Like Oyema, he's round, what, 6'8 at best. Brock Cunningham, like 6'6. Dylan Mitchell, round 6'7. Those are your bigs right now. Those are your big men. So they, they're going to get killed on the boards depending on who they play. So it's going to have to be, you know, rebounding by committee. But, hey, if it's an exhibition game, first game of the season, this team's going to have to get used to playing with each other. I like IT Horton and what he brings to the table with his jump shooting. But they are very small right now. And they're going to be put in some tough situations depending on who they play because Caden Shedrick, who's around seven foot, and Dylan DeSue, who's around 6'10", are going to be out for a little bit. They've got Incarnate Word Monday. They've got Delaware State um, next Friday. They've got Rice on November 15th. And then they go to New York City to Madison Square Garden where they will play Louisville. And then either UConn or Indiana. So Louisville just lost to a D2 last night like Westland, Kentucky or something like that, D2 team, got them, 81-78. So it can happen. Don't sleep on these D2s, man. They got a lot of, you know, former misfits D1 and guys that, you know, kind of slacked off or got into a little bit of trouble, you know what I'm saying? Like Andre Cook, St. Ed's coach, he's as good as it gets. And the type of talent that he brings in, he'll bring in former D1 guys, he'll go to Australia and get guys. It don't matter. And 
yeah, they're well coached and they played hard yesterday. They just don't have the same talent that the Texas Longhorns do. But yeah, man, I've known Andre Cook for a long time and he's as brilliant as a basketball mind that I've ever met. So I'm not surprised that he had the horns down 10 points last night with his St. Ed's Hilltoppers. Well, they should get Caden Shedrick back uh, by the time they, I thought, I think they'll have him by the time they go to New York, um, November 19th. So Dylan DeZoo, it could be well into December before they get uh, Dylan DeZoo back. Um, and that's, you know, that's, uh, that's life. It's not fair, but it's life. And hopefully Dylan DeZue will be, you know, good to go for the rest of the season. He deserves it. He had such an amazing postseason last year. And Caden Shedrick, we want to see what he's all about. We've seen him kind of locked into Tony Bennett's defensive system at Virginia, and he's really good. Um, but he obviously wants a little, little freedom to, you know, operate with the ball. Um, and so let's see what uh, – Let's see what that looks like, even if it's just Caden Shedrick down low, um, you know, for the first month of the season or month and a half of the season. And uh, but yeah, it, that that's a small, small lineup for Texas. They, they tiny man when they put out Ot Horton and Ace Miss and Hunter. I I think Ot Horton's over six three, but barely. It ain't much. He ain't over 6'3 much, but yeah, Max A. Smith, that jump shot is smooth, man. When he comes off those screens, out-of-bounds plays, he hit three of them last night going into the corner. That's as quick of a release as you're going to see. He's, it's an unorthodox shot, too. He kind of, you know, it's, it's a different shot. I wouldn't necessarily teach that to anybody, but if it goes in, if your follow-through is right, if your arc is right, then don't change it. Like, it's pure. The dude averaged over 22 points three straight years at Oral Roberts, and, yeah, I like what Tyrese Hunter, his jump shot looked good, too. And if he could have a consistent jumper and he could stay aggressive – then this team, they should be fine once March comes around. But, yeah, until they get that size back, a lot of teams are going to just go inside and try to get them in foul trouble and make it ugly. And that might be an issue for this Horns basketball team until DeSue and Shedrick get back. Well, let me tell you who else is smooth, and that is Great Blue Heron Furniture. GreatBlueHeronFurniture.com right now. They've got a Christmas flash sale going on um, through tomorrow. And you need to get on this website, greatblueheronfurniture.com, because they've got everything. I mean, they've got, you know, this is high-end leather furniture, whether it's couches, recliners, bar stools. They'll even help you design your own, you know, living room set, your own furniture, whatever you want. Um, they've got it. It, it. it couldn't be easier for you to get the perfect bar, the perfect living room, um, because they're going to help you. You know, they're going to help you design the exact look that you want. And this is furniture that is not built uh, for now. It's built for a lifetime. It's not, 
you know, this is custom made furniture, the highest end leather furniture you can find. And don't forget to use the promo code HOOKEM. That is the Texas Sports Unfiltered promo code. And just uh, listen, you want guaranteed delivery by Christmas. This flash sale is going on um, through tomorrow. So get to greatblueheronfurniture.com because they are ready to work with you. Um, We'll be talking to Hank South coming up in uh, just a couple minutes. But Zay, I I look at this, um, you know, I look at the uh, college football playoff rankings and Texas fans don't lose your mind if Texas is down there like at 10 uh, because a lot of this is going to work itself out. The I'm glad that the college football playoff committee doesn't release the rankings until until this point in the season. They could almost wait longer, but ESPN wants television, and it, this is made for television drama. Um, and it can get interesting, like in 2014 when you know TCU was number three. And then beat Iowa State like 55 to three. But the committee couldn't justify Baylor beating TCU and Baylor being left out. So TCU suddenly dropped out and dropped below Baylor, all because they were never going to put Baylor in the college football playoff because our Bryles refused to play anybody significant in the non-conference and they were not going to reward that. So Gary Patterson got screwed over uh, and their explanation was pitiful. And as Hummer said, the ex- the comments from the committee chair, I don't envy the committee chair. Like you get this job, it is thankless. Um, you know, when we move to a 12-team playoff, no one will give a shit about what the committee chairman is saying. But when it's so only, long. when it's only four, it that fifth team, sixth team, especially right now, people start to reach for the tums. Don't worry about it right now. Just keep winning. Just win. Like for Texas, just be a laser beam this week. Have the best practices you've had all season because. I'm going to talk about it in the in the chip shot. There's a position group that is is on call this this week that absolutely has to deliver, and I'm not talking about FedEx. So it's uh, <laughs> this is this is going to be this is what it's all about, man. This is weeks like this. You got LSU. Going into Alabama, you got AM going into Ole Miss, you got Dabo Sweeney going off on Tyler from Spartanburg. Yo, man, I hope Ole Miss dunks all over AM. Do you see their dunk goal that they got? Lane Kiffin and those guys, like everybody has their own chain and all that stuff, or turnover chain and the belts. They have a portable basketball goal on the sideline, and if you make a big play, you can throw yourself an alley-oop and dunk that thing on, like, seven foot five, man. Lane Kiffin is such a joke. Like, come on, man. Like, I- that sounds like a twisted ankle waiting to happen. 
Oh, yeah. Don't let nobody get hurt. Don't let nobody pull a Kevin Durant and slip on water and bust ass or something and they out for a couple of weeks. That wouldn't be a good look for Lane or that little dog that I think should be taking the PETA because I don't know about Lane being the caretaker, but whatever. It works, I guess. Well, let's uh, let's bring in our man, Hank South, recruiting guru, horns247.com. Hank, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are y'all? Oh, man, we are chopping it up. We're chopping it up about this Texas K-State game, epic showdown. Um, Hank, from a recruiting standpoint, how how uh, what's the visitor list looking like? What uh, what do you think? Yeah, um, it's still coming together. I think the 11 a.m. kick might make it a little bit challenging to be as big of a crowd as we might have once anticipated before they um, set that kick time. But I still think there's going to be some some big names on campus. Um, you know, you look at it now, a lot of commits, as always. You know, you see the Parker Livingstons, the Melvin Hills, Michael Kern, the guys that, you know, you see on campus pretty often. In terms of uh, guys that aren't committed to Texas, um, it's going to be a lot of underclassmen. Um, one 2024 name that um, we're keeping an eye on is, um, is uh, what's his name? Alex Foster, totally blanked. The uh, edge rusher that's committed to Baylor, he actually recently got an offer from Texas. Um, you know, uh, you know, Texas has still been recruiting Solomon Williams at edge. Alex Foster now gets an offer. So it looks like they're pretty intent on bringing another guy in to, um, to go with uh, Colin Simmons and, uh, and, and Zena. Uh, Yamazulu, I butcher his name every time. Um, but uh, th- that's the big 2024 name currently expected. We're on Kobe Black watch. You know, will he show up this weekend? I think it's very plausible that he does. Um, he has been still intending to get to a game, and he has two chances left <laughs> this season, at least in, in Austin. Um, so I think this game makes sense. And also Ryan Wingo is supposed to come down as well, the five-star wide receiver that just committed. So um, certainly want to keep him um, coming back to Austin as much as you can between now and December 20th. So um, should be a nice group. The, it's going to keep growing. Um, like I said, you know, we'll have more names come Friday. Um, uh, but yeah, always 11 a.m. kicks are always a little bit more challenging to to get um, to get massive groups of visitors in. <clears throat> yeah, hang. Let's go in deep about Ryan Wingo and that whole process. We talked to you on Wednesday before the commitment, and you sounded optimistic there. And it seems like the Horns got their guy for now. I saw his pops. I saw that interview with his pops. His pops was like, "We'll see December 20th." And I was yeah. like, "Whoa." Pops, I ain't trying to hear that, bro, but hey, got to get it how you live. That's where we are in college football when it comes to this recruiting and transfer portal. But as of now, he's committed. Tell me how that whole process went. Yeah, you know, from people I've talked to close to that recruitment, um, I don't think it's any secret. I think the dad really likes Mizzou. So, you know, I think uh, when, when it was all come down, when it came down to it, I think Ryan Wingo, I think his brother, who's a big part of his recruitment as well, I think they felt Texas was the best fit for themselves. So, you know, um, I was asking, you know, how, because all the momentum was towards Mizzou, you know, those last two weeks prior to him announcing. It wasn't until, you know, early Wednesday morning when, when Steve Wilfong reported that, you know, Buzz was starting to pick back up for uh, for Texas. And, you know, it, it's kind of weird to even think Buzz ever left Texas. He did. He was a silent commitment. You know, he or you know, he was a he's a commitment now, but he was a silent commitment before. You know, he he told the staff he was coming. Um, so, you know, I, I asked one source, you know, they said, stayed the course, you know, they, they didn't do anything different. They just stayed the course. And, you know, I think he saw, you know, again, that opportunity to come in and, and potentially make an impact pretty early. Um, 
at Texas. Uh, he could do the same at Mizzou, but, you know, I think he likes, um, you know, Steve Sarkeesian's vision for him, how they can use him in the offense. One of his big things was NFL development. You know, you got an NFL wide receivers coach and Chris Jackson there that can teach you all that. So I think that's what ultimately, you know, tilted the scales in favor of Texas. Um, and, you know, he, Chris Jackson was on him for a long time. You know, right when he got um, on board as the wide receivers coach, passing game coordinator, Ryan Wingo is maybe probably, was probably the first recruit he reached out to. Um, so, you know, he, he really uh, worked on him. You know, Tashard Choice was involved as well, the running backs coach, and, and obviously Sark. So, you know, they just, they just again, they stayed the course. Um, you know, they, they showed him everything that, you know, Texas can potentially do for him, and, and I think he liked that. So, you know, we'll see if uh, that stays the case for the next two months. I think it will, uh, especially if you can get him back a couple more times um, to Austin. But, um, you know, we'll see. Yeah, Hank, NIL, I mean, I don't know how much of that is in play here. I mean, there seems to be some sentiment that, you know, if someone can put a better package together, I don't know who can put a better package together than Texas, but how much do you think that's at play here? I think it was definitely in play and it, it kills me on Twitter. You know, you see, I have all these Mizzou fans in my mention being like, Oh, they dropped a bag. It's like, well, it's like, is it even a bag anymore? Is it not just like a direct deposit of NIL? Like, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's legal. Everyone can do it. So it's like, I'm not saying like, you know, Texas does it by the book. Um, but I think, you know, NIL, you have more NIL opportunities in Austin, I think, than you do Mizzou. Um, obviously, what Mizzou had in its favor was, you know, stay home, kind of be that hometown hero. Um, but I, I think in the end, you know, I, I do think NIL definitely played a role. Um, and, you know, you, you probably look at, you know, everything that, goes on for Texas and their guys with their, you know, Lamborghini deals or what, you know, what, what have raising canes, you know, they get, they have all sorts of NI opportunities in Austin. Um, and so I, I think probably, you know, whatever opportunities he has there, he probably liked a little bit better um, at Texas. Yeah. Uh, talk about where Kobe black is. You kind of mentioned him having two more chances to come on campus for the next two games against Kansas state and then tech. But with Ryan Watts leaving next year, you could use a guy of, of similar stature and Kobe yeah. Black to put in that secondary. What is he waiting on? Is AM still in the picture? Or is he just like how I would be if I was being recruited? I'm going to get wine and dine by everybody, even <laughs> though I probably know where I'm going. Yeah, I think the latter. Well, you know what you just said. Um, I think he's really enjoying the process. It's funny because you know I feel like since June we've been you know it's like oh Kobe Black could be the next commit or he you know he he's getting close. I went up to see him in Waco I think in early August during his fall camp, and uh, you know he was talking about maybe making a decision before the season. Um, he maybe even leaning towards making a decision before the season. Now here we are, October thirty first. Um, so I, I'm really not sure what he's waiting on. I, I think I think Texas is still in really good good shape for him um you know I, I think he he really likes terry joseph he really likes you know the, the defensive staff he likes sark he feels like they've really um you know made him a priority and, and I, he has much friends on the team as well um so you know i again i don't know what he's waiting for you know he, he's visited i think oklahoma state a couple times this year his brother actually plays at oklahoma state so you know everyone freaks out when he goes to stillwater it's like well he's going to see his brother um so you know he's that's something texas a&m I do think they're still involved and, you know, they're obviously still pressing for him, but he was supposed to be at that Texas A&M Bama game um, earlier this month. And he actually ended up going to the uh, Red River shootout. So, you know, he, he's, he's still very much in contact with Texas. You know, I, I think things are, you know, where they've been for the last few months. I think he's just taking his time and, you know, that, that happens sometimes. 
Yeah, as far as the edge rushers, Hank, you know, obviously Colin Simmons is the the headliner. But who do you like of the guys who are uncommitted in terms of who would be a good fit and just your personal preference? No, I mean, of the guys that are recruiting, you know, Solomon Williams, I I think he's really underrated. Um, I don't have his ranking pulled up right now, but I think he spent most of the cycle so far as a three-star, but... You know, he's just a powerful speed rusher. You know, he, you know, that speed to power kind of combo. I think he, um, that's kind of his, his asset. And, and he plays in a, you know, I think, believe Carol Wood Day, the high school he plays at in Tampa is, is a pretty competitive, um, you know, division of football. So, you know, I, I really like what he brings to the table. He seems to have, you know, all that verified, uh, the verified numbers, measurements, all the things you look for. Um, and he's a really productive player. So, you know, I, I can see why. Um, you know, Texas likes him so much. Oregon's trying to get him. Texas A&M's trying to get him. Alabama's trying to get him. Um, so, you know, it, it makes sense. Um, you know, you, you turn on his tape and, and he's, uh, you know, he's creating or wreaking havoc in the backfield. Um, Alex Foster, haven't seen as much of, um, you know, they like him though. I, I think he's probably, you know, maybe not the first option at edge rusher to take right now. Um, if, you know, if they can get an answer from Solomon Williams, maybe, maybe they, then they move to him or, or they look elsewhere. But, uh, you know, I, I, really, I really am high on uh, Solomon Williams' tape. Yeah. Hank, what did you think of the Horns this past weekend? I mean, putting up 35 and only allowing six, no touchdowns against BYU. Say what you want about that Mormon team, but that was pretty damn impressive. Now they got Kansas State, who's on the road, blowing teams out, especially at home, coming in. How do you think they're going to fare on Saturday, 11 a.m.? Yeah, um, you know, I think going back to the BYU game, I was I was very impressed. You know, I can't I, you can't say enough about you know Tavondre Sweat, Byron Murphy. I mean, Jaude Barron. I mean, th- these guys are just playing lights out. Um, you know, they to hold a team you know out of the end zone and in BYU's again. We were talking about them last week. You know, they're not a slouch team. They have a veteran quarterback. They had playmakers at wide receiver, and Texas you know did their job and, and they were able, especially coming off a game like Houston where you just couldn't stop Houston. You know, for the second half of the game. Um, to kind of, kind of come back and make that statement kind of performance, I, I think was a, was a very good sign. Um, you know, in terms of offense, again, you know, I think Malik Murphy, you know, outside of his two turnovers, I think he played really well. Um, you know, again, it was kind of that self-inflicted stuff in terms of, uh, you know, any anything they didn't do well. You know, they get the red zone stuff is going to have to get fixed. You know, I, I commented on our Hornets twenty four seven board. You know, like, how do you finish these red zone drives? And I feel like every um, every time they run a quick slant to Adonai Mitchell. It's always a touchdown. So I don't know. Maybe just start doing that every time. (laughs) So, um, so I feel like he's always, but um, no, and in terms of this weekend, you know, Kansas state's probably going to be, you know, one of the toughest tests they've seen this, this season up next to, you know, Oklahoma and Alabama. Um, They've got a much better defense. I think what I wrote it down before this, the 14th scoring defense in the country, they're really good rushing defense. So, you know, it's going to, you know, but you know, where they might lack a little bit is, is in their secondary. I think maybe Malik Murphy can, you know, if he can get the ball downfield like he started kind of looking like he was feeling more comfortable doing on Saturday, um, you know, maybe they can take some some deep shots there and, and, and get some points that way. You know, it'll be a tough test in the trenches. You know, this is going to be kind of one of those uh, maybe kind of an SEC style game, um, you know, where, where it's one of the line of scrimmage this weekend. And, you know, so we'll see. I, th- I think Texas, you know, I think they'll show up again. Kansas State, you know, you got to it, it'll be a test for them, too. You know, that they, they haven't really seen a defense defensive front like Texas is so far. You know, you got Avery Johnson's kind of their little spark plug that can come in and, and uh, you know, 
and um, score running the ball. But, um, you know, they, they haven't faced a defense like this. So I think it's going to be a really intriguing matchup. I think Texas will win. But, again, kind of how I felt about BYU, I think it's going to probably be a close game, you know, for three quarters before um, Texas pulls away. Sunshine. Avery Johnson. Sunshine. Sunshine Trey. That, uh, that hair, man. I don't even know what to – what to make of him, but yeah. hey, you can use that hair to pull him down. So Same. you know, hey, he's gonna get he's, he can get an nil deal out of that hair probably with Head and Shoulders, something. Yeah, yeah there he's go. the new like Palomalu. Yeah, the blonde Palomalu. <laughs> <laughs> Hank, what uh, what'd you think of Malik Murphy? Um, obviously, the poor guy is not gonna get judged on a curve. He's gonna get judged if he wins. Um, your uh, impressions of Malik in his first start. I thought, you know, outside of the, the kind of the careless interception, you know, that's something you can, that's something you could fix. You know, it wasn't like he was trying to force anything. He just, it was just kind of a, he tossed it up. Um, I thought he had, you know, he, 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 everything that everyone says about him, you know, how he has a locker room guy, how he's a leader. You can kind of see that on the field, you know, um, you know, he, even the first drive coming out um, after the first kickoff, you know, he was, he was dancing around. He, he looked very comfortable in that setting, you know, for someone making their first collegiate start and kind of a big situation where, you know, Texas still has everything right in front of it. You know, they, they, they can't slip up. And so, you know, that's a lot of pressure for a kid making his first start. And I think I think he played really well, um, especially, you know, most people don't have probably one of the most famous recruits ever behind you on the bench. That's, you know, fans are not going to waste time uh, in terms of getting them in if you start making mistakes, even I saw some media even saying, you know, after that interception, is it arch time? It's like, you got to give him a little bit longer of a leash than that. You know, this guy that's been in the program for two years and, you know, is a, a, you know, one of your leaders. So I thought he, he really, you know, for overall, I think it was a really solid performance. I think, you know, again, um, you know, with this K-State defense, maybe with their weakness possibly being in, in that back end, maybe this is a chance we really see that arm come to life with, with Malik Murphy this weekend and, and getting the ball downfield with Worthy and, uh, and Mitchell. Yeah, I look I look at that K-State situation where Howard throws three interceptions against Oklahoma State, and then the next week you get Avery Johnson, and he, he gets unleashed against Tech. He runs for five touchdowns. Yeah. And it sounds like Will Howard is meh about having to split time with with Avery Johnson, but it's working. So yeah. it's it's all systems go. Also, how long has Will Howard been at K State? I feel like he's been there for like 15 years. Like yeah. it was yeah. 20. Yeah. He's he's the Brock Cunningham of the Kansas State <laughs> football team. Yeah, yeah, it seems like it. It's a good way to put it. He yeah. uh but he's you know it, it's gonna be fascinating to me because yeah. climbing he can't. Well, I'm not going to say that. He owns OU, and he hasn't beaten Texas yet. So we'll see how that uh, see how that plays out. I'm I'm also totally intrigued by K State's defense after losing six starters, and now they're playing better yeah. than that defense last year. <laughs> Come on, be interesting. Come on. Yeah. All right, Hank. Any other thoughts on? Uh, on your, uh, your recruiting notebook or on this week's game between the uh, Horns and the Wildcats? I don't think so. I, you know, I'm, I'm excited for this one. I mean, I'm excited to see who else shows up, you know, in terms of recruits. You know, again, there's only two more home games. So, you know, Texas Tech is going to be a big visitors list. Um, but, you know, it's 
be a good opportunity for them to kind of make another statement, another ranked win. Um, you know, I know that, you know, it was very exciting um, for recruits after that Kansas game. And, when you know, I think Kansas was 24. They'll probably be ranked. What? They only have two losses. They'll probably be ranked. Or are they ranked this week? I didn't even see. Kansas? Right. No, the Jayhawks. After being oh, yeah, they're 22. Yeah. 22. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get a big ranked win. Kids get excited. Um, you know, we were able to catch up with a bunch of them after um, that game at the end of September. And uh, there was a lot of buzz. And so, you know, I think this could be another one of those where kids are excited and, you know, just just keep building up that momentum into December. What happens with LSU Alabama this week? Oof. I mean, I, you got to just love Jaden Daniels. That, that kid and, and, you know, Bama's defense is really, you know, they, they've fixed their issues from the Pete Golding era. I think Kevin Steele has them. You know, they, they've been playing lights out. You know, if it gets into a scoring match, though, you know, you're going to have to lean towards LSU just because you you got to imagine Jalen Milrow will, you know, maybe turn the ball over a couple times. But, you know, but everyone keeps doubting Bama, you know, but they keep they keep winning um, and they're going to be at home. It's going to be a night game of Ryan Denny. You know, they don't lose many of those except for when they play Texas. So, you know, we'll yeah, see. I, I, I probably think Bama at home, um, but it, it's going to be I, I think it. I don't know. Is it going to be like that 9-6 LSU, you know, 2011? Or is it going to be, you know, 2019 LSU-Bama 45-42 or whatever it was? So it'll be – that'll be a fun one to watch. I'm glad we're going to have the Texas game um, early so we can – because I'm looking forward to watching that one as well. Yeah, how about Sark saying Texas has the best win in college football this season? Yeah, man. Yeah, I saw a bunch of – I have some LSU buddies that I see on Twitter and they're all saying, does he even watch college football, you know – LSU went into Tuscaloosa and beat them like yeah like four years ago like, <laughs> like <laughs> and and he was the offensive coordinator of that game that was the same one where uh, Smitty I think put up like two hundred ninety four yards on Stingley so I mean it's not like you know Sark's aware yeah <laughs> yeah Hank appreciate it man always appreciate it let's do it again next week no doubt sounds good guys thanks thanks All Hank right, Hank South bringing it. Horns 24-7. Make sure you're following along at horns247.com for all the recruiting latest. Um, Zay, I got to tell you about my man, uh, Dr. Eckert and Brain Vault because, you know, I'm seeing all these, uh, you know, all these parents. They've got these teams. they got teams of lacrosse players and cheerleaders and even flag football. I mean, Look, Dr. Eckert, Dr. U-E-C-K-E-R-T.com. Um, and this brain vault mouth guard, it's unbelievable. It's patented to reduce the effects of concussion and the total to me, the total difference, because I've I've got a brain vault mouth guard, is the fit. It feels so comfortable. You almost want to wear it like all the time. Um, but look, your kids are gonna love it because it's patented technology to reduce effects from concussion and it fits great. And if you've got a cheerleading team, they've got the lower mouth guard that's going to protect you so that you can still smile with the uppers. If you're a athlete, you're going to, you're going to want this, you know, lacrosse, all these sports where you don't think it's, you know, soccer, soccer, tons of concussions. So, Get your kids into the mouth guard that B. John Robinson wears. I mean, you got it at the 
NFL level, college level. Um, and it's right here in Austin, Texas. And they'll come to you, do a whole team fitting. All you have to do is go to brainvault.com to set that up. And of course, if you just need a dental checkup or you need some dental work from Dr. Eckert, just go to dr.ueckert.com to set up uh, that visit. All right, Zay. I'm going to get into the chip shot here. And um, there's going to be an epic showdown on Saturday at 11 a.m. And it's going to involve two of the highest graded players at their positions. Actually, a few of the highest graded players at their positions. When we have Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy going up against um, Connor Beebe, or Cooper Beebe, sorry. I'm just butchering names today. And that K-State offensive line, which is just full of veteran experience and is a huge part of the reason that that quarterback run game has been so effective for K-State. Whoever wins that battle is probably going to win the game. Like whoever wins that physical battle is probably going to win the game. If Texas's defensive line can control the line of scrimmage, that quarterback run game won't won't do what it's been doing to TCU and to Houston. Um, if K State wins that battle, it will, and it'll put a chill and into the spine of Texas fans and it could turn this game into a shootout where Malik Murphy has to throw it all over the place to battle back or come back or score the go ahead touchdown at the end. Um, and that's why that matchup is so important. If Tavondre sweat and Byron Murphy and Baron Sorrell and justice, the committee of the law firm of Finkley tap and Bush, <laughs> can you know and Anthony Hill can limit that Jade Barron throw him in there um but that is the matchup and it's going to be worth the price of admission mission because K-State's offensive line is has been the the key to the whole operation for them and Texas's defensive line has not allowed anyone's running backs to get off this season and it's been a huge factor. It was a huge factor last week. They got pressure, 12 tackles for loss against BYU. That's fantastic. I mean, that controls the game. And it leads to interceptions by Terrence Brooks and Michael Taff and a strip sack by Justice Finkley and three short field touchdowns for the Texas offense. Um that's huge. I mean, Texas turned over Adrian Martinez. They got a short field interception last year, right before halftime, Jalen Ford. And Texas went into the halftime of that game last year up 31 to 10. I couldn't believe my eyeballs. I, I thought that was going to be the toughest game of the year. Texas dominated. Um, they need to plug into that kind of urgency. They need to plug into that kind of mindset because um, that's what it's going to take. That's what it's going to take this Saturday. 
This is a K-State team full of veteran dudes in critical positions, particularly on the offensive line, Khalid Duke on the defensive line for them. Um, you know, Kobe Savage. Um, they got, uh, who's from Paris, Texas, by the way. You know, they got dudes in, uh, who can ball. And they also have some young guys like, you know, Austin Romaine is a freshman playing middle linebacker for them. Okay. Let's make him have to show us what he's got in this game. But I'm, my eyes are fixed on that battle between the Texas defensive line and the K-State offensive line. And Devondre Sweat is the number one ranked interior defensive lineman in college football, according to Pro Football Focus. And he's going to be up against um, Cooper Beebe a whole bunch. Um, and I can't wait to see it. 6'4", 335 against 6'4", 362. Let's get it on. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be old school type of battle. And you would have thought with Kansas State losing Deuce Vaughn, their run game wouldn't be as explosive. But Giddings and Ward, those guys, they could go. You know, Ward coming from Florida State, and if you throw Avery Johnson and Will Howard and what they can do with their legs in the mix, that's a lot that you have to account for if you're Pete Kwiatkowski in this defense. And, you know, just like I said at the beginning of the show, you cannot allow these guys to gain confidence by playing that very just lazy, you know, soft coverage in the secondary. Bring those guys up. John A. Barron blitz him every once in a while. Jalen Gilbo, I thought he played a solid game quietly against BYU. We saw that he was pretty good against Houston, too. So now they have more confidence in number three. Let him blitz some, you know, because we saw Jaron Thompson and Keaton Crawford in that Houston game. Those guys playing up, you know, those guys, you know, having to play those slot guys. That's not what you want. So if you can mix it up with John A. Barron and have him all over the field along with that pressure that we saw against BYU, I mean, tap and Finkley, those guys, they should have a ton of confidence going into this game, but it's containing Avery Johnson and Will Howard and not allowing those guys when you blitz and bring more guys to go in those A and B gaps and, you know, break your team off for 15 yards and keep moving those chains. You don't want that to happen. And who knows how many more points the Horns would have scored against BYU if they didn't have that very long drive that took up basically the whole second quarter. You know what I'm saying? So getting the ball, getting the ball back three and outs, I thought it was big that they did that against BYU and gave Malik Murphy good field position to make plays happen. As you mentioned, just turning the ball over. Jalen Ford did that last year. Can they make turnovers happen with Will Howard and Avery Johnson? Because you saw in that, you know, Houston game, they're letting Avery Johnson throw it a little bit. And that dude, he was a four-star for a reason. It's not just his legs. He's a dual-threat guy that has a decent arm. So when he gets in the game, you can't just put nine in the box thinking that it's going to be a run. He will drop back and throw that thing, too. They got Brooks out there to make plays. You mentioned the um, 
tight end. He might not be 100%, but either way, they still got guys. And I think if you stop that run game and force them to throw the football, then that plays in the Texas hands. But if you allow them to, you know, do what Dylan Gabriel did, which will open up a lot more stuff for the wide receivers to make plays and you don't know what the hell's coming, then it could be a terrifying game if you were a Texas fan and for these Longhorns especially if Malik Murphy's going to have those same mistakes that we saw in the BYU game. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be everything that you want. Texas has to have the same kind of intensity. I mean, ideally they'd have the same kind of intensity they had for Alabama every week. We know that is a lot to ask of 18 to 22 year olds with people telling them, Oh, you're the best team. You have the best win in college football. But after the OU game, the coaches have to help these players too. And my sincere hope is that Ryan Watts coming back just certainly allows the the boundary corner to play up on the line. Yeah. Um, but having both corners off soft coverage. No. And this is a game where Anthony Hill and Mo Blackwell, because of their speed are going to be impact guys and Mo Blackwell's versatility, having played safety and that um, weak side linebacker position. This is a game where they're going to need his sideline to sideline speed because you just can't get gashed. You can't give up the explosive play. Texas got, what, a 60-something yard run from Bijan Robinson in this game last year that helped set up a touchdown. Um, I think that was, yeah, and that's, you know, that's going to be huge. And K-State, I remember making some plays over the middle of the field late in the game, Adrian Martinez, as K-State came back from that 31-10 to 10 deficit and, you know, next thing you know, it's 34 to 27 and K-State's trying to, you know, make this incredible comeback. So this this week, you got to shut it off. You can't you can't give up those explosive plays. And that's that's where I think an aggressive game plan, smart but aggressive, is what it's gonna take. And I don't ever want to see that soft coverage again because it just, to me, it just hurts their mindset. It takes them into a a backpedaling posture instead of a going forward posture. And defensive players need to be going forward when when possible. I mean, I'm not don't yeah. be idiots, but you know, you you dictate, you bring the pressure, and you you establish the tone of this thing and. I'm excited, man. I'm I'm ready for this one. Yeah. All right. It is time to get to my man. Say the right call. Call your. Yeah, man. Before the right call, though, got to tell y'all about Covert Bee Cave, the family-owned auto group, the dealerships that have been around the greater Austin area for over 100 years, and they have been committed to providing that high-quality selection for customers all over the greater Austin area because the outstanding service and customer satisfaction is worth it at Covert Bee Caves. They have seven terrific 
brands to choose from in Dodge, Cadillac, Chrysler, Buick, GMC, Ram, and Jeep. So you're going to find what you want at Covert B Cave, or you could go to covertbcave.com for all the latest specials and inventory. You need that two-door, they got it. You need that sunroof, they got it. You want the windows tinted, I'm sure they have that. From the big SUVs to the big pickup trucks to the nice little just sports cars, they got it all at Covert B Cave. So go visit Dan and the crew down there. Got Ricky Williams coming out this Friday. So go check that out with Bucky and BK. You can't, come on, man. That's the Heisman Trophy winner. He's getting honored. And he'll be at Covert BK for a meet and greet. Definitely check that out. Nobody beats a Covert deal. Not now, not ever. All right, Chip, a little NBA talk for the right call today. A huge trade was made yesterday. James Harden is gone, a guy that we've talked about before on Chip and Zay here on Texas Sports Unfiltered. The Philadelphia 76ers have traded James Harden and Texas alum P.J. Tucker over to the Los Angeles Clippers for Nicholas Batum, Marcus Morris, Robert Covington, K.J. Martin, and draft picks. So now the Los Angeles Clippers have James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Paul George, and Kawhi Leonard, which five years ago, this team's winning a championship. Now, I have no idea. It just sounds like a big cluster F. That's what it sounds like. Just a big shit show because Kawhi Leonard, as good as he is, He'll be in Springfield one day, get his gold jacket, Hall of Famer, absolutely. I know Spurs fans hate to hear that. He did y'all wrong. I understand that. But two-time champ, two-time finals MVP, great player, a little injury prone now that he's in his 30s. But when he's out there, one of the top players in the league, that makes sense. Paul George, he's borderline Hall of Famer, perennial all-star, terrific Smooth game, probably the closest player to Tracy McGrady that I've seen come into the league since Tracy McGrady. He's definitely an impact player. Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook, it's almost time to hang it up. Even though he plays hard, Russell looks good right now because he's fresh. The season just started. But let me know how Russell looks when February and March comes around. Again, Hall of Fame player. We know him and Kevin Durant had their differences. They used to get to Western Conference Finals together, got to the NBA Finals. Durant said, I'd rather be with Steph Curry than you. Russell broke Oscar Robinson's records. Russell Westbrook, lifetime Hall of Fame type player. James Harden, kind of the same thing. Great player, Hall of Famer. What he did with the Rockets was spectacular. But all four of those guys together, I don't know, Chip. I don't know if that could work. Mostly James Harden and Russell Westbrook because those guys have a very similar game. Paul George and Kawhi, they could play off ball. They could catch and shoot, do different things. James Harden, he should be able to play off ball, but I think that style with Mike D'Antoni in Houston kind of corrupted what he how he should play and him playing off ball, it, it could be a struggle. So that's going to be a conflict when it comes to playing with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and Russell Westbrook. If he comes off the bench, maybe it could work, but working to me is being a championship type team and they're still not. 
They got Zubak, a big man who's decent, you know. That, that's just that's just a lot of, you know, main dudes on one team. That all of those guys are old. Not everybody can touch the ball. I don't know how it's going to work with James Harden. If he'll be able to swallow his pride and say, hey, I got two guys that are better than me and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, I got to defer to them. Or is he going to think he's the alpha male and think he's the man and try to bring that same Houston Rockets type energy over to L.A.? We will see, but I wouldn't have made this move if I was the Clippers. I wouldn't have. I thought that they lost this trade, given up, uh, you know, P.J. Tucker, that's a good, I guess, addition. But P.J.'s old, man. Like, P.J. was playing with Daniel Gibson and LaMarcus. Like, you remember P.J. Tucker failing his classes here at the 40 Acres and stuff? That was a long-ass time ago. That was almost 20 years ago, Chip. That's a long-ass time ago, which salute to P.J., the fact that he's still in the NBA, and every time that he plays, he's asked to guard the best player on the opposing team. Like, that dude... I had no idea he was going to be an NBA player the way that he's established himself. 6'5", power forward. 6'5", power forward. No jump shot at Texas. The fact that he developed that corner three, he can't shoot anywhere else on the court, but that corner three, you can't leave P.J. Tucker open. 6'5", power forward. Didn't work out his first stint with the Suns. Went overseas, got a better IQ, came back and found his role in the NBA. So... That's a good addition, but he's also like 40. So, like, you got to, you know, PJ has a lot of miles on him. You got to be careful with where you put his minutes and where you don't. But, yeah, man, as Sam says down here, all those players are ball hogs. So, one player down the court shooting retreat on offense. I mean, that's what it is. Like, James Harden. Well, that's my question. That's, That's my question. Russell Westbrook used to be a really good defender. We know Kawhi can defend. Um, are these guys ready to win and share the ball, or is it just still going to be ego central? Because it, it seems like a lifetime ago that Westbrook and Harden played together in Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. Um, but Sam Presti got rid of James Harden, and and kept Durant and Westbrook together. And can these two coexist? Can Kawhi, you know, be the sheriff of this group? You know, Paul George always strikes me as such a flake. Like, I don't... (laughs) I mean, it seems like when he's locked in, he's fantastic. When he's not, he just disappears. Like, there's not a consistency to him that makes me feel like, oh, yeah, you know, like there's a I get more consistency from P.J. Tucker than I do from Paul George, even though Paul George has a way bigger offensive skill set than P.J. But P.J. will defend. Yeah, he'll he'll be a six five power forward trying to guard a seven footer. He'll do whatever it takes because he's a dog. And you know, can they all decide, hey, no one expects this to work. Let's make it work. Are they at that point in their careers where it's like all we care about is winning? We've all had the individual stuff. 
So one thing that works in Clippers fans' favor with this whole situation, all four of those big-time players, Paul George, Kawhi, Russell, and James Harden, they're from the Los Angeles area. So they have that bond with another with one another by being Cali boys. And maybe, you know, that will help. But at the end of the day, once you get to the playoffs, you what you do bad always shows. Like you're gonna get exposed no matter what. That's just what playoff basketball is. You get exposed. And it we're gonna see. You're right. All those guys, are they locked in to buy into playing team basketball because Harden led the NBA in assists last year. He might have. Yeah. Like that tells me, okay, we know he doesn't play shit on defense, but if he's willing to share the ball and, and Westbrook will defend and Kawhi will defend. I mean, George is going to have to defend. Yeah. But like the difference with that is, Joel Embiid was MVP last year, like averaging 33 a game almost. So their two-man game, it was great. Like they were one game away from going to the Eastern Conference Finals, beating the Boston Celtics. Just James Harden didn't show up in that game seven. And, you know, if you're a Houston Rockets fan, you'd say deja vu about that. But, yeah, it's different. They won't like, you know, you won't see as much pick and roll with Kawhi or James Harden or Russell and James Harden because they're all – ball dominant guards you know so if I'm, I'm thinking about right now all those guys starting like how the hell does that work you know what i'm saying like somebody's gonna have to be a defensive stopper that's why i think james or russell's gonna have to come off the bench but since they're all friends maybe it'll be okay like maybe russell will say hey I'm good coming off the bench. I'll be with this second team and I'll be the best player on this second team and I'll get to do whatever I want. And then Ty Lue, the coach, will have to figure out who closes games. And that's most likely based on who has the hot hand or not. But it's a weird trade. It's a lot of ball dominant guys who are future Hall of Famers that are going to have to look themselves in the mirror and figure out what works best to make that team look as good as they can, which I think they're a second round knockout. If you ask me right now, yeah, what that yeah. roster is there and how good the Western conference is, they're a second round knockout. Yeah. Ty Lue's going to have to manage some serious egos, but maybe, like I said, you, you know, you hit that point in your career where you've had all the individual accolades you've, you know, Russell Westbrook has his records. Harden has his records and Kawhi has rings and Paul George doesn't. Um, maybe they can, you know, put that stuff aside. I just, like you said, it's you, you can, I don't, I don't, I don't know how you can have Harden and Westbrook on the floor together. I, think <laughs> I don't to be, know how that can work. It has either. to be one or the other. <laughs> it has to be one or the other. Do they have any young talent that, you know, a uh, or, or a, you know, defensively? I mean, they got guys, you know, they got guys who can defend. They got rid of them all. All in the trade. P.J. Tucker is the only one that could really defend. Well, I mean, Kawhi is a great defender, but he's older now, so he's nothing like what he used to be. And Paul George, he's no punk either on the defensive end, but... 
yeah, all those guys, Batum, Morris, Covington, all those guys are defensive first players. And then the offense comes in after that. Especially what do you think of the Sixers now? Um, oh, yeah, they're better. They're better than what they were. They got they won the trade, in my opinion, because Tyrese Maxey, he's emerged as a potential future all-star. Joel Embiid, we know he's a perennial all-star slash MVP player. Yeah, bringing on Morris and Covington and all those guys, I think they got better. And now Tyrese Maxey, he doesn't have to worry about James Harden cramping his style. He can be the man and not have to look over his shoulder. And, yeah, I like Nick Nurse. You know, Doc Rivers, his time come and gone, which I don't know about him as a commentator either, but – Whatever. Get it. Get it how you live, Doc. Make that money any way you can. But yeah, I, Sixers, I think they won the trade. I really do. Yeah. Well, here we go, kids. Yeah. Here we go. Bob, I see your question, man. I got you tomorrow. It's a long week. We're going to be talking about this all week long, baby. Stay tuned. I got you. Right. Hey, I told you the Lions would cover. Oh. Man. It took a minute. It took a while, yeah. But those Raiders, man, Josh McDaniels is hot garbage. That dude wow. is a death sentence if he shows up as your coach, man. So bad for Devontae Adams, man. That dude, he was down bad, slamming his helmet. I'm tired of this shit. I'm tired of it. Like, woof. Because that's not yeah. what he signed up for. He went to go play with the homie, him and Derek Carr, roommates back at Fresno State. That's the homie. This is why I came to Vegas. I was just with Aaron Rodgers. I ain't come for no Jimmy Garoppolo. Well, guess what? Josh McDaniels shows up and gets rid of Derek Carr exactly. and then doesn't have any formula to get Devontae Adams the ball. He's Sad. supposed to be a genius. Sad. Good job, Josh. Yeah. How are you doing? Yeah, you just pissed good. off one of the best receivers in the NFL to the point where he was probably trying to get traded last night. Oh, he's been pissed off all year long. Like he's been talking to the media, seems like after every game about how he's just over this shit. This ain't what he's used to. He ain't no loser. And yeah, that might be the best wide receiver in the league. And you got him out here disgruntled, upset, salty. Not a good look, Raiders. Not a good look. But, yeah, shout out to your lines, man. It wasn't pretty, but they got it done. Golf through a pick six to Marcus Peters. But it was Jameer Gibbs coming out party. Do you feel better about that pick now? You always talk about Jalen Carter. After what you saw last night, do you feel better about that pick? <laughs> Crack that open a little bit. A little. You, you got it completely closed. Crack it open a little bit. Come I could on, I could he get that from it. Craig Reynolds, man. I need Jalen Carter. How do they pass on Jalen Carter? Are you kidding me? I know you always say you can't have a guy with car trouble in the Motor City. You can't do it. You can't uh, do it. Hey, and the Rangers, baby. Yo, big win. So it's like every other game, that favors the Rangers. Yeah. Like they were on the Ranger coaster. You know, so yeah. tonight it's the D-backs 
Yeah, Gar- the boys. Yeah, Garcia got hurt. I saw that. And the way that he's been hitting the ball, when you break Derek Jeter and Manny Ramirez postseason records, you're kind of raking. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> so, hurt, hurt. Um, I don't know if he's hurt, hurt, but that's Reggie Jackson. Yeah, but he got a little nicked up yesterday. We'll see. What's up, fellas? Yo, yo, what's up, guys? What's up? We'll uh, we'll get out of y'all's way. Let y'all, you know, take this ball and run with it. We'll take it. I'm not sure we're gonna run with it, but we'll come take on, it. man. <laughs> we just we want to look better than Texas first half against St. Ed's. It'll That's be a healthy thing. strut. Yo, KD, you see the white boys balling on St. Ed's, man? All those West Lakers. They got like four West Lakers on that St. Ed's team. Dude, is Luke Axtell's kid on that team? (laughs) (laughs) No, you're right. It was like, I mean, it it looked like Westlake like grew a little bit and went out there and just like put down the red and blue and were like, dude, we're Hilltoppers tonight, all right? (laughs) Hey, KD. What's I up, love Ed, I love Eddie Oren, but has there ever been a make good that has lasted twenty years? <laughs> At that department, yes, there has. I know. <laughs> Hold up, Chip. Hey. hey, Chip, how you feeling, Michigan wise, right now? You <laughs> tighten it up a little bit because like everything was right there. It was like the perfect guy. It's all working, and this gets. This gets more TMZ by the day. Oh, it is. It's got per Zay Hilton written all over it. <laughs> I'm just waiting for Zay to tell me what's going to happen next. Because half of me thinks, after watching how Kansas and North Carolina got off scot-free, even after the feds were involved in basketball, that nothing's going to come of this. But... I'll wait for my man Perse Hilton to tell me. I got you, man. I'm on the blog. I'm on the sites. I got you, but okay. Appreciate y'all. Y'all have a good show.